We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris, and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. I want to begin with a quote that shocked me when I first read it. It didn't shock me because the claim was overblown, but because it made me realize more fully the implications of this week's events. Alex Fitzpatrick on Twitter wrote, I'm still not sure we're doing enough to reckon with how close we came this week to live-streamed mass assassinations. I've been silent for weeks at the podcast, mostly active on Twitter in any sort of public way. I don't know how else to describe it outside of a word like overwhelmed. As an introvert, it takes me time to process information and accompanying emotional responses. So the fast pace of the last four years and the past week have often left me reeling. I'm overwhelmed with what I've been seeing, and I won't blame media because the events themselves are what is overwhelming and also serious enough that they can't be ignored. I don't want to see what I'm seeing or have to deal with what this nation is dealing with, but here we are. It was not so much the image of the Capitol Police officer being crushed in a doorway by a mob screaming heave-ho as it crushed him even further, insurrectionists in the front antagonizing him rather than helping. It was his agonizing screams that haunted me the rest of the day. I'm as supportive of police reform as anyone, But as I watched, I was devastated by the torturous inhumanity of what I was seeing. I have no expertise in politics or history, or most of the other topics that would be useful in talking about what I'm seeing. I do have some experience dealing with bad arguments, and I've been invited to discuss that for a few minutes on a friend's podcast. But beyond that, despite my inexperience, like many people, it's hard to see the things we're seeing and not have thoughts. One potential area where I have some background in education is in communication, which was one of my areas of specialization in college. It doesn't make me a communication guru, so much as someone who may have a little more knowledge than the general person on the street about communication models in psychology. Someone sent me to a thread on Twitter to review a long statement from Seth Abramson. I'm including a link in the description. I don't follow him and his name is only vaguely familiar to me, but this thread is a breakdown of a speech that Trump gave at the Stop the Steal rally just before the attack on the Capitol, and just down the street from the Capitol building. It was the crowd at that rally who marched to the Capitol to, quote, stop the EC vote count, which was the steal. And after reading Seth's take on what was said, I'm in agreement that whether or not I agree with every point he makes, 
The sum of that speech was to whip up an angry mob and launch them to the Capitol to halt a democratic process through whatever means were necessary. Trump did, it's true, use the word peaceful in his speech at least once. But it's also true that the rhetoric in its entirety is describing and promoting anything but peaceful. We all heard Trump's public address directly after the events where he said he loved the protesters and wanted them to go home, quote, in peace. What was missing was strong condemnation of the events and a vow to track down and punish anyone involved. Where was the call to peacefully turn themselves into authorities? Later, he issued another statement where he did offer stronger language. But there were two communication points that stood out to me as I listened. First, he said he had exhausted all legal means to fight what he continues to frame as fraud. This leaves only illegal means available. And he ended with words to the effect that this is not over. Dog whistling of this sort always has two contexts. It communicates a message that sounds benign to most of society, which the speaker can then promote in order to deny malicious intent, while also carrying a less socially acceptable coded signal to a specific audience the speaker hopes to reach. Think of the mob boss addressing the shop owner who refuses to pay, quote, protection money. Gee, it would be a shame if something were to happen to your business. Criminals know better than to say, I will burn down your storefront if you don't give me money. So they express it in more socially acceptable language while ensuring the more nefarious message can still come through. It makes it harder to prove, but it's no less threatening. So we have two questions. What do people like you and me hear? And what do people like Trump's supporters hear? People who are listening for cues and clues who believe his rhetoric that a corrupt system has corruptly stolen what should have been a free and fair election, and that a corrupt court will not allow justice or due process including, unbelievably, three judges that the president handpicked at the urging of a very right-wing Federalist society. Growing up in the United States, I was always taught through lessons in the birth of our nation that denial of representation and due process combined to justify violent revolt. If you have access to either, then you are provided a way to legitimately change your system and working outside the law becomes less justified as access to those metrics increases. As it decreases, illegitimate means of social change become more justified until straight-up armed insurrection is the only means left. Trump began delegitimizing the election process before the election even began. And then, as courts found against him repeatedly, both on procedural and quality of evidence grounds, he began to delegitimize the courts. If you recall, historically he tried to delegitimize people based on donations to Democratic candidates or just being a Democrat. He even tried to claim that a Hispanic judge could not legitimately rule on immigration cases. I recall specifically when Robert Mueller was selected to oversee the Russia investigation situation, being concerned that Republicans would select a water boy. But after hearing he had bipartisan support, I accepted his appointment. I also assumed that, as a Republican choice, everyone else would as well. Except that isn't what happened. As soon as it became clear that the investigation was not a mockery, not a sham, Mueller came under attack along with his team with people claiming they were somehow sympathetic to and controlled by Democrats. 
Since then, it's become clear that anyone of any political or ideological leaning or history is viewed as untrustworthy if they don't climb on board the Trump train entirely, including lifelong Republican public servants. As someone who's been critical of Republican policy for many years, this is stunning. Suddenly, people who have stood for Republican ideology their entire lives have become rhinos, the fake Republicans. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. After the events of Wednesday, a significant portion of Republicans continue to support the attack on the Capitol, and the vast majority believe Trump should not face consequences. Link to the polling percentages in the description. Think about that as you read Seth Abramson's blow-by-blow of the pre-rally speech that Trump gave. One of the most insidious messages in the speech is the repeated way Trump continues to instill hope in the crowd that Pence will save the day, even though Trump already knows that Pence has indicated he will not. He tells the crowd that it doesn't take courage for Mike Pence to oppose the electors. It takes courage for him not to do so. Was this a threat? Be a shame if something were to happen to Mike Pence. Go back to my point number two about what people will hear and ask, What did Trump's base hear? We now know exactly what they heard because they called specifically for Mike Pence's death while hunting him down inside the Capitol. Trump whipped them up, told them Pence knows he's taking a risk to not do what Trump wants, launched them at the Capitol, all the while knowing Pence was not going to overturn the election. But again, Abramson has done an exhaustive and yeoman's job of going through the full speech, so I won't rehash it all here. But I encourage you to take the time to read it if you haven't. That speech, directly before the events that followed, was not mere correlation. It had causal impact, and I would submit that anyone using that language to that crowd should have anticipated they were encouraging illegal methods, including violence if needed, to stop a democratic government process from proceeding, which is, by definition, insurrection. Trump's speech and the insurrection that followed are inseparable. Meanwhile, rumors are flying and reports are being issued and sometimes retracted. I posted about the death of the Capitol Police officer and then had to retract within hours when it was announced he was actually still on life support, then posted his confirmed death the next morning after life support was removed. My goal is not to fearmonger or spread fake information, especially since I'm sure this will be investigated and information released as it's gleaned. I will say that it's possible that at least some of these people have been under surveillance already and that any information that could impact an ongoing investigation may not be released immediately, similar to what we saw with the Russia investigation. One example was the understanding that someone must have fed sensitive polling data to Russia. When it was first reported, there was speculation that it was Kushner who would have been best suited to have done this. But later, we learned it was actually Paul Manafort who provided it. 
So it's not unthinkable that some information won't be released, so as not to compromise ongoing work. But my concern is that this could signal some dangerous messaging in the meantime. I watched one Republican pundit in the few days that followed, who actually argued they want Trump to be left alone because they're scared to poke the bear and upset his supporters, potentially creating a martyr. Think about this. Trump sent an armed, violent, whipped-up mob to march down the street with the intention of stopping the Electoral College vote count and certification. His friend and sometimes lawyer, Giuliani, left a message for Tuberville instructing him to object to more states in order to delay the process as much as possible, to provide a delay, a longer window of opportunity. This pairs disturbingly well with other reporting from the Capitol Police officers themselves. From an article at BuzzFeed recently, quote, That was a heavily trained group of militia terrorists that attacked us, said the officer who's been with the department for more than a decade. They had radios. We found them. They had two-way communicators and earpieces. They had bear spray. They had flashbangs. They were prepared. They strategically put two IEDs, pipe bombs, in two different locations. These guys were military trained. A lot of them were former military, the veteran said, referring to two suspected pipe bombs that were found outside the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee. The officer even described coming face-to-face with police officers from across the country in the mob. He said some of them flashed the badges, telling him to let them through and trying to explain that this was all part of a movement that was supposed to help. You have the nerve to be holding a Blue Lives Matter flag, and you are out there fucking us up, he told one group of protesters he encountered inside the Capitol. One guy pulled out his badge and said, we're doing this for you. Another guy had his badge, so I was like, well, you've got to be kidding. End quote from BuzzFeed. It's important to keep in mind that there can be coordination combined with collateral. It's possible for a group of coordinated insurrectionists or terrorists to use an unwitting angry mob to their own purpose. The entire group does not have to be, quote, in on the plan, or even the goals. For example, information was stolen from the Capitol offices, at the very least in the form of computers. While speculation is that this may not result in a huge security breach from the computers, it does raise the question of who else was in that mob and what other information could they now have accessed. Maybe zero, but maybe a lot. The point is that it was a realistic possibility. There are reports that Trump was excited and happy about what happened. Putin was as well. China is now using it to demonstrate the dangers of democracy. Our allies are equally concerned about what this means to the world stage and the damage that's been done, the damage that was potential in what we witnessed as well. But circling back to my point about poking the bear, we have a president who either intentionally or unbelievably negligently instigated a deadly insurrection who offered kind words to those who perpetuated it, and who only offered any hint of condemnation after he was threatened with possible consequences in the form of criminal charges or removal from office. I would think that a person who screws up on that level should expect to be fired at a minimum. If he did this accidentally, that's unacceptable incompetence. If he did this purposely, that's also unacceptable. Either way, his actions should result in consequences. 
And yet it's looking more and more as though this nation is about to tell future presidential hopefuls they can refuse to leave office and incite a deadly insurrection and win or lose, we will hand wave it away so long as they have a violent mob at their disposal to create sufficient fear of reprisal. I can't imagine that inciting insurrection, whether a president intends it or stumbles into it, should be viewed as a normal level of career gaffe. Meanwhile, I will end with the quote I used at the start, because for me, this is what drove the gravity home. I am not sure we're doing enough to reckon with how close we came this week to live-streamed mass assassinations. <laughs>